All right. So, moving forward. We are starting a series on moving forward. We're all moving forward in life, whether we like it or not. It's moving, right? Time's moving. This planet's moving. Everything's moving. We get to decide, okay, Lord, you've got a plan and a purpose. You have a road for me. You have a a divine will for me. I want to move forward in it. I want to be a part of it. Your big plan, the plan for me, your kingdom, I want to be moving forward in it. That's right. Amen. Are you at the right place? All right, so Exodus 14, turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look at the children of Israel, and the first time God really tells them strongly. He told Moses, he gave them the plan, obviously, from the burning bush going into Egypt. Well, they are out of Egypt They are at the Red Sea, and he's going to put them between a rock and a hard place. I researched so hard, hoping that the rock and the hard place, you know, that cliche you heard, was from the Bible, but I couldn't prove it. (laughs) So it it had like four different possibilities, the Bible, one of them. So eh. the the Bible is the oldest, though, so maybe. (laughs) Exodus 14, we have to read 1 through 3 to understand how God is going to move people forward, and what's going to happen in their life. All right, this is God's people. They're at the Red Sea. They're not in the place God has them and not in the place they're going to cross the Red Sea. They're not where they need to be. So we need to read Exodus 14.1 to understand how they get to where they need to be. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hararoth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal, Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. You're not in the right spot. God specifically turns them and puts them between the rock and the hard place. What? God is a God who wants to do miracles in your life. And miracles happen when you can't do it. And you're in a rock and a hard place. He will be glorified in his creation, right? And he will bring them. He says, I want you to turn them and I want you to put them right here. They had to pull up camp and turn a million people and put them in a different location to be able to cross the Red Sea and do what God obviously has already had planned. Now we can finish our story in... Oh, wait, hold on. Let me show you a couple pictures here so this is clear. I've made some tiny little prints. I almost missed them. Let's look at this. So they are surrounded by mountains. There's a beachfront right there. This is most probably the crossing. I wasn't there. The Bible gives a pretty clear description, but over this much time, geography changes. You know, it looks different. So this is, this is most probably the crossing, though. There's cliffs, there's mountains, there's a million-plus people on a beachfront. They have nothing but mountains and water. There is no other way. There's been a lot of secular, uh, ungodly theologians who made other assertions and this and that. No, it is the hand of God and the hand of God only. Let me, let's look at one more right here. It's the close-up of this. That's the close-up. You can see that all those little um, roads that lead in, that's where the Egyptians are. Now you can see there is no way they're going anywhere forward 
unless God's going to do it. There is no way they're moving. A million people crammed on this and the peninsula right there. And those mountains are sheer. They're very, it's, it's not like hills, it's mountains. It's not Louisiana. <laughs> All right, now we can go to Exodus 14.10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, so they cried out to God, but they're going to get mad at Moses. <laughs> because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? What a horrible frame of mind. We'll just live and we'll just die and we'll be in servitude and slaves. We have no desire to go forward. Go forward means change, big change. Going forward means discomfort. Going forward above all means you're going to have to have a real, trusting, faith-filled relationship with God. And that's not easy. And the children of Israel saying it would have been easier if we just could have stayed in Egypt. And in some ways, that's not a lie. That's a truth statement. But it would not have been godly. It would certainly not have been what God's plans were. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see, no, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Why are you calling out to me? He's saying, look, the time to call out to me is over. I want you to do something. Tell the children of Israel to what? To go forward. Tell them to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Going forward is found in these little texts right here. Going forward is found in these words, and it's found in the words of Moses. The command of God is clear. Go forward. How do we do that? The children of Israel don't have the faith. They haven't had the God encounter. They, they don't understand. But Moses has the words. He has the secrets right here to going forward. You got some notes there. Let's learn something from the word of God. Let's look at this. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. That is a common statement in the Bible. Do not be afraid. There is no going forward with God in a mindset of fear. There is no going forward with God. In Him is light and there is no darkness at all. There is no way you can go forward in perfect light and holiness with fear in your heart and mind. Amen? So we have to make a decision this year. We're going to make the decision just like Moses had to do it right here in the face of a rock and a hard place and everyone telling him he's a bad leader and he's missed God. Everyone's saying, you actually wanted us to die out here. 
You're not, not only are you a bad leader, you're cynical and you have malice in your heart. That's character assassination right there. That's character assassination. And Mo- Moses just takes a deep breath and as humble as he was, I have no comprehension how and this is this is how he steps and becomes a Christ figure. In the face of attacks, right in his face, he's going to stand up and say, just don't be afraid. It's Jesus stuff. Just God is going to save you. In the, in the face of all these attacks, he's proclaiming faith and love. Ooh, I don't know how he does that. That's where I want to be. That's amazing. And I don't feel these attacks. We have a great church. I like these people here. They, they love me. They hug me. How you doing? How are your kids? It's really great. It's wonderful. Man, I would not have to want to leave the children of Israel at this time. <laughs> Let's look at this. Number one on your notes. This is what Moses had to do. He had to make this decision. Number one, decide your voice will motivate people to trust God. This year and in all of our lives, this is a daily decision, isn't it? That my voice is going to be a voice that says, do not be afraid. We serve a God who's going to, who's going to fix this. We serve a God who's going to do a miracle. And this is difficult at times. This, the reason why we can be encouraged is this is not a faith-filled Sunday Easter time, right? This is a rock and a hard place. People are frustrated. People are upset. And Moses says, I'm going to be a, a voice that motivates people to trust God. And he stands up and out of his mouth and says, do not be afraid. This is who we get to decide to be in our life. To be like Moses, in fact, to be like who? Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Decide your voice will motivate people to trust God. We have to make that decision. I'm thinking about myself and my situation and my family and my work and my neighbors and everything you have. you got work, neighbors, coworkers, and all of these decisions. Okay, Lord, how can I motivate people with my mouth? to trust in the living God. This is what Moses did. This is what we are going to do. Let's look at a, somewhere else this happened in Matthew 28. Jesus has just risen. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are at the tomb. And the angel is going to speak to them. Matthew 28, 5. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do, wait, what? That's the exact same words that Moses said. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He, was, he is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and do what? Tell Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Okay, that's the angel. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Jesus fulfilled the law. Look at the verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, second witness, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, be, what? That's the exact same thing Moses is saying. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my people to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
Now, I often think about all the Gospels up to this point. These ladies have little recorded about them because they're not doing a lot of the ministry minus the the behind the stages stuff, right? Behind the stage. They're just doing setup and stuff. But for three years, God was moving in them, filling them with faith, doing a work in them. And I realized reading this, it is at this point that they are commissioned by God not to be apostles, not to be in the fivefold ministry. That's separate. They are commissioned by God to proclaim and motivate people to trust in Him, even when it's to the apostles who are struggling at the time. Well, how do we know they're struggling? Go to Mark 16. We're gonna, these stories and the timelines are going to fit together. Mark 16, 9. Now when he rose early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went, and told, she went and told those who had been with him as they what? Mourned and weeped. Well, we're back to Moses and the children of Israel. It's, it's not a pretty situation. Hey, if, if the guys are crying and mourning and weeping, it's a bad day, right? What they thought their whole life, everything they thought was going to happen, the way they thought Jesus was going to take over Israel and the kingdom was going to come, they thought it was earthly. No, it was supernatural, spiritual, and it was eternal. And that, was, they had to, that gap had to be fixed, and Jesus does. It's not a pretty situation, verse 11. And when they, had, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what does it say? Nope. Your leaders, some authority, they didn't have the faith at that time. And these ladies had to make a decision based on their encounter with God and what they knew was true and say, okay, we have got to be a voice that motivates people to Jesus. We have got to decide, even if they don't believe, we're going to keep speaking the truth. Verse 12. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. That's in Luke, the road to Emmaus. And they went and told it to the rest. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. But they, what? They didn't believe him either. These disciples are having a rough time. Later, he appeared. Okay, he's going to fix it. He appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he what? He rebuked them because he said, look. I love you, disciples. I'm for you. You know that. I've called you. My hand's upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is with you. But when I tell you, you're going to be a voice that motivates people to the truth, that motivates people to what I said, you better do it. That's a rebuke because they had got off. Amen? And God does that lovingly. He's not angry at them, but he went and said, look, this is not the way you're going to you're going to be victorious in 2019. This is not the way you're going to be victorious in A.D. 33 or 34, right? I'm going to be gone, and the way you're going to be victorious is decide that my, my word is true and what I tell you is true, and you motivate people that way. All right. Let's go back to our text. The children of Israel are still there between a rock and a hard place. So the first thing out of Moses' mouth is, do not 
be afraid. God's people have a theme. The angels have a theme. Jesus has a theme. We don't live in fear. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish to you today. I'm going to assert this is one of the greatest evangelical statements ever made in the Bible. This is one of the greatest evangelist sermon statements ever faith-filled like I cannot comprehend in the Bible ever made. Why? They're looking at Egypt, who wants to kill them or bring them back into slavery. They're looking at the mountains, and they're looking at the sea. And Moses steps up and say, God's called me to be an evangelist. He's called me to be an evangelist, and I'm going to fulfill that duty faithfully. Stand still, and you're going to see God save you. That is one of the greatest evangelical statements ever, right? Think about that. He's not going to save one or two. He's looking at scared parents holding their kids. He's looking at old people who can't run like they used to, and not 10 or 15, a million plus easy, right? This is one of the greatest evangelical statements. I can imagine the Spirit of God and the faith of God in him. Oh, my. That is amazing when I think about this, and we have a decision to make, too. In 2019 and in our lives, when we walk out of these doors, you know what it is? Number two on your notes. Determine you will be a faithful evangelist. Determine you will be a faithful evangelist. I have never thought about Moses as an evangelist, right? The deliverer, you know, the come my people, all those things. I never think about him as an evangelist. Was he not an evangelist, not only to his people, but also to all the lost Egyptians? He was this prototype of proclaiming God's word to all these lost people and all these backslidden people are these Israelites who had forgotten living in Egypt what, who God was. He was an evangelist and he was determined to fulfill his role and his, the plans and purposes for God in his life. I thought, that's right. Tur- turn to Hebrews 11. Can you get an usher to turn down the AC? Hebrews 11, 27. So when you realize Moses is an amazing, faithful evangelist, when you realize, okay, Moses is determined to be one, you start to see him differently. And everything he did, right, when you realize this is who he, he was, now watch this. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. never thought of this in this way. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, look at verse 28. By faith, he did what? Kept the Passover. What is he doing with all of these people in these rooms with blood on the doorpost, with their feet with their shoes on their feet and all their clothes ready and all everything packed up and they're eating uh, bread that's not risen. What is he doing? This is a giant, 
huge evangelistic event. God is going to save you this hour, this time. He's doing it by faith. He's this phenomenal evangelist making everyone do this Passover at the word of the Lord. By faith, he kept the Passover and the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, who he, the sprinkling of blood, least he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. I thought my battery had went dead. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry ground, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Everything Moses did was so evangelistic, and I never thought about that. I never thought about how it was by faith and saying, you're going to see the salvation of God. You're going to see the salvation of God. He's going to save us. He will save you. Trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. It's no different standing up and saying, you're lost, you're broken, you're without Him. Come to the cross and see the salvation of God. Come to the cross and see the salvation of God. Right? Decide this year, and I've decided, and y'all, I've made it no secret that I don't feel like a great evangelist. But I realize that's not what Moses did. I don't know if he was a great evangelist. It didn't seem like it because the children of Israel really struggled. Right? What he was, was a faithful evangelist. He was faithful to the word of the Lord and did what God told him to do and proclaimed the salvation of God every step of the way. That's what I never caught in the Bible. The Passover is him proclaiming salvation through Christ alone. Salvation through the blood, right? So was the Red Sea. So was the tent. Everything he did was being a faithful evangelist to people who really struggled in faith and trusting God. What about people who were opposite, who were um, against the word of God in Egypt and Pharaoh? What was he? A faithful evangelist. That's what we're going to be. Come on. Is that what we're going to be? We're going to be faithful evangelists, and you have to determine that that's what you're going to be. I mean, draw a line in the sand, put a peg down in the sand and say, God, I will be a faithful evangelist to you. All right. This happens in our life all the time, whether we want to or not. We're forced to be evangelists. And I realized last night that there was a forced evangelism time in our home. We were having dinner last night, and I can't even remember which kid it was, asked, is it, well, I get kids confused. We've got a bunch of them. And then sometimes these kids are not even our kids at our house. I don't, eh. Sitting at dinner, or right before dinner, I think Zoe says, Okay, who is greater, our angels or our God, or is God, I think she said. Jesus is Jesus. You want to tell the story, babe? No, I better not say that. You're going to be up here. Who is greater? And I said, oh, my goodness. What are we going to have to do? We're about to have to proclaim the truth and the, the person of Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. I am going to proclaim who he is and what he does. Well, my wise wife was smarter than me because I was getting ready to just to go off. <laughs> in the scripture in this. And she says, much wiser and more patient than me, what do you guys think? And then opened it all up for discussion. And then they all got it right. They're like, well, God is, but why? And this and that. So we spend 10 minutes 
evangelizing our children. And then my wife goes seriously into the book of Hebrews, who has called his son, um, whoever said that uh, to, to a son, sit at my right hand where I make your enemies your footstool and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, whoa. What happened was we had the opportunity, and the most important one to evangelize your children, right? To evangelize them. And it's easy with our kids because we're their parents and we've determined that we're going to be evangelists. And I thought, what if this was my life? What if I am determined to be this everywhere I go? Come on. I believe God's going to honor that. And I think he'll be glorified. And I think people will be saved through that. Amen. God will honor that as he did with Moses and saved every one of them. I think he saved him for Moses' sake and his glory. He didn't save him for their sake. Let's keep looking here. Oh, yeah, now you're getting oxygen in that brain. You're waking up. There you go. I know it's still the new year, and you kind of get used to schedules and things. All right, verse 13. So the first thing Moses says is do not be afraid. So we have to decide that we're going to, motivate people to trust in him. The second thing he says is you're going to stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Oh, that's in big faith. Today, before the sun sets, determine you're going to be a faithful evangelist. These build on each other. They're connected. They're there by the hand of God, all together like this. And then at the end of verse 13, Oh, I'm in Hebrews. For the Egyptians whom you see today and have seen your whole life, that plaguing, nagging, attacking, whether it's of this world, whether it's demonically influenced, that belittling, that thing you don't like about yourself, that thing that attacks your faith, that thing that wears you down, that thing right there. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. And for how long? Forever. I like that word. No more forever. Forever. Well, I think about this and the struggling Egyptians with identity and who they are. And they really they haven't had the Sinai experience. Who this God is is, oh, I mean, they're, you talk about a new Christian, a baby Christian, a, 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 a God follower who's just like, well, you know, the blood covered us and we're out here only because of the blood. But they don't really know much, much else. They just, their understanding is so, so small. There is something Moses is proclaiming. And it's again by faith. He's saying, I understand this has affected your whole life. I understand that this is major change. I understand that we've been dealing with this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Through the plagues, through all of this. And we get out to, Mount, to, we get out to, um, to the Red Sea and... and, and Pharaoh says they're exhausted, they're dumb military strategists, they have put themselves in the worst place. This is shooting fish in a barrel. Fish in a barrel. Sometimes the world does that. (laughs) They don't understand that God's coming when it's like that. 
that God's coming. And so Pharaoh's there, and he says, never again are you going to see this. This is very complete. This is a statement of complete salvation, complete annihilation of the past and your enemy. Number three on your notes. Deliverance from your past is in salvation. Deliverance from every sin, every attacking, belittling word, all the things that marked you as slaves in Egypt. And remember, that's always a picture, you know, of sin. All the things that marked you before Christ, no more and forever. No more. You shall see them again, no more, forever. Boy, I like that. Deliverance from everything is the package deal. A few years ago, we were in Colorado and we moved. To, we, uh, we came to visit and we had a kid or two with us. I can't remember again with all these kids. Anyways, I rented a car. We flew into Houston, rented a car. We're driving. And, you know, when you rent the car, they ask you, do you want full coverage on all that? You know, what was a little Corolla? You, you get coverage when you get, uh, you know, we rent it, we do it with a credit card. And I was like, ah, I don't need everything. I, I'm a good driver. Just do the liability. If someone, you know, hits me, every, you know, it's covered. No big deal. But in the back of my mind, it kind of bugs you. You're always like, ah. But you think, ah, I'm a good driver. Da, da, da. Except when you go to Meemaw's camp. And in Meemaw's camp, there's a pipe sticking out in the yard that should not be there. There's no godly reason at all it's there. And it's almost kind of the, it's a faded pipe, so it just looks like a blade of grass. And you back the driver's door into the pipe and... You know that sick feeling in your stomach when you do something? Yeah, yeah, y'all been there, huh? And I thought, oh, if I had just paid the stinking $20 a day and spent the 60, 80 bucks, oh. Now, I didn't know, I still wasn't as worried until I spent 100 man hours with the credit card company to prove that I wasn't like fraudulent or something. I could have fixed the door myself. Could have went to school and finished before then. Oh, I was like, oh my goodness, can I just pay for the door? Paperwork and this and that, and here's your blood, and I'm not going anywhere. It's just a dent in the door. Anyways, I realized the feeling of it not being covered. Ugh, that is not the feeling of salvation. Salvation is no more forever. Dented, smashed, whatever, it's under the blood. Come on. Has his blood lost its power? The most fundamental statement I can just about say up here. Has his blood lost its power? It, absolutely not. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever, it may have been something that, that comes up every few years. It may be something you're dealing with now. The blood has not lost its power. No more will you see them and forever. It's over right now. My salvation is coming to you. Deliverance from your past is in your salvation. This is what Romans says. And I tell you, I listen to Paul when he talks because he'd been through some stuff, right? He'd made some oof, bad mistakes, public mistakes. When you're pulling little children out of the hands of a crying mom, that's a heart I cannot imagine. But he did it. And God changed that heart, and God delivered him from all of that past. 
Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That's complete, isn't it? Does that sound complete? Is that like the triple insurance deal? I mean, you're covered everywhere. Like if you die, everyone around you gets rich. That's some insurance. All things. Who shall bring charge against God's elect, God's people? That's all things. Oh, I love it. Deliverance from your past is in salvation. Three simple points for this year. But that's things I want. I'm going to decide what my mouth is going to do this year. I'm going to determine that I'm going to be a faithful evangelist. I'm going to speak even if people are ridiculing. I'll do it in love. I'm not going to do it in anger, but I'm going to speak in any situation, even in this ridiculing one that Moses is dealing with. And I'm going to understand that his deliverance with everything that's bugging me and bothering me and I don't like, it's complete. Now, as I was studying this on a personal note, hopefully it'll illustrate it. I have a strong, strong feeling, as maybe some of you do, especially in this culture, to constantly have to defend Christianity, which is a biblical statement. Paul said, I've been set here for the defense of the gospel. But in our culture, it, it's almost like we have to uh, defend everything we do, why we go to church, why we live morali- morally, why we speak against sin, why we do anything, right? It's just constant. And so because it seems so constant, um, especially if you're on Facebook, don't do that. That's why I'm on Facebook. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm joking. If you're on Facebook, great. It's constant. So with me, what I struggle with is, okay, I'm ready. Smile, I love you. This is what the word says. This is what this is. This is what history says. I have a feeling I don't think that's the way God wants us to walk around. <laughs> I do, right? We did. That's me. And I'm, I'm, I'm in this. I'm a leader. I'm a spiritual leader. And then I'm a pastor. So then I feel doubly. I got sheep too. I'm just, is he wolves here? We're going to. And God, he, he loves me. I feel like my son sometimes. He looks at me like, it's okay. I'll take care of this. If you want to carry the gun, it's all right. But I'm God. You don't have to defend me. I'll take care of that myself. Because I'm the one who fights battles, not you. I was reading this story, and again, I saw something I never saw. And it just says, okay, put the six shooters back and maybe just get rid of the machine gun. <laughs> Every once in a while you need the six shoes, but it's actually rare, right? That's not the way he's, that's not Christianity. It's not the way we kind of function. Go to me, go with me to uh, Exodus 5. Let me show you this. This is the very first encounter between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. They have never met face to face. This is the first, now I can't say before Moses uh, left. He was raised in the royal court, so they probably knew each other, most likely, for sure. This is the first time they get back, and Moses is a different man, right? He's been serving the Lord. He's had the encounter at the burning bush, and he's with Aaron, and this is the conversation. 
After Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, of, the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. This is just the first time they wanted to go out and spend some time with Jesus. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? You can just almost hear the attacking, condescending voice, right? Look, Moses, I'm glad you got all religious and stuff. I'm, I'm happy for you and all that. But that's, I don't know who you're talking about. And that's not the way I run my life. And in fact, what you're telling me, if I keep reading here, is you want to take all the people away from the work, and I know how to run things. I'm the Pharaoh and all, so you need to be quiet. Okay? Just... And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let his people go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Pharaoh, I know you don't know this God, but I'm going to tell you, he's changed my life. He's changed me. Now, I wish that would work every time. <laughs> Come on. You come in, God spoke to me, this testimony, this is what's God doing in my life. But a, a, a hardened, sinful heart, it just bounces off of it, right? And that's what happens here. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with sword, because we would be the disobedient. If you keep reading, the king says, look, it ain't going to happen. I don't know this God, and I don't give a rip about what he's doing. You go do what you want to do. I don't care as long as you don't mess with my stuff. So the words of Pharaoh himself were, I don't know this God. I don't know who he is. Now let's go back to our story. Exodus 14, 17. As I said, the Lord has much better ways than my six shooters. Just put them up and do what I tell you to do, Stephen. Exodus fourteen seventeen. This is God talking. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Verse 18. What did Pharaoh say in chapter 5? I don't know this God. Then the Egyptians, is Pharaoh an Egyptian? Oh yeah. Shall know what? That I'm God. And I'm the king of the universe. And I rule and reign. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to me. And there will be no questions on any heart or any mind throughout all of history that I'm God. Because I'm sovereign in all things. And let me rule and reign. You serve me. You obey me. Let me take care of the God stuff. Oh. You see, Moses is squirming in chapter 5. But he appeared to us. But he says, I'm going to let God do this one. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And I realized, okay, I'm going to motivate people to trust you. I'm going to be a faithful evangelist. I'm going to deliver. I understand that salvation is complete and he's going to deal with all the things I'm dealing with. 
and I don't have to live like this. God, I need you to move and you to touch that heart and you to change that mind and you to touch that marriage and you to do that because we're not able to anyways, are we? Not really. But God says, I'm going to gain honor over them and every one of them, and this is sad and horrible, but as they're drowning in the Red Sea, breathing their last, did they not know that Jehovah reigned on this earth and in all of creation? Do you think there was a doubt in their mind as the walls collapsed around them who God was? Not a doubt in their mind. That is why no one was at, is without excuse before the living God. Let's stand up. I am so glad I am his. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with Egypt. I want to be his. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come up. Spend just a few minutes with the Lord. Come on, let's make the decision. We're going to decide to motivate people with our mouth. Get a hold of this thing. You you can steer the whole ship of life, right? (laughs) This thing's powerful. We're going to determine, and it takes determination to consistently to proclaim God, especially in hostile situations. And this is the thing it's going to be. We're headed toward the second coming of Christ, not away from it. I don't know what it's going to be, but it will be hostile. So I'm just determined I'm going to be a faithful evangelist. Amen. And then I can be a faithful evangelist because I know his salvation is complete. Complete. I'll see him no more. And all the questions, if you've been attacked for your faith or belittled or anything else, you can give that over to God in freedom because every tongue will say, I know who God is. Every one of them will confess. Even that Pharaoh had to say, I'm without excuse no more. Now we're going to decide our 2019 for worship. And we're going to decide just like these, (laughs) just like these complaining people of Israel had a song in their mouth going through that dry land. Let's worship Him. Lord, we thank You for this. Lord, we bring ourselves to You completely this new year. Oh, completely in our life, God. Oh, Lord, we want to be a mouth that proclaims Your goodness and proclaims that we don't have to live in fear. We will determine to proclaim salvation through Christ alone. Sin is sin. And God, You are a great Savior. Lord, we thank You that we have complete deliverance from our past, from every issue, from every problem through the salvation of Jesus. Now, right now, we're going to worship you for that. And right now, we're going to decide we're going to live a life of worship toward you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on now, worship him. Worship him. And death couldn't hold you down.